You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here, Moms for Liberty. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Candace Jackson. Candace is a mom of two twin nine-year-olds. Um, you need to change your Twitter bio, Candace. They've, they've grown a year. <laughs> um, an attorney who is married to an attorney, um, former acting assistant secretary for civil rights and department of, and, and I'm sorry, and deputy general counsel at the U.S. Department of Education. Is that correct, Candace? All correct. My, my, my little girl boy twins will turn nine in a couple of months. And so they've already got me thinking that they're older than they are. Yes. <laughs> As children often do. Uh-huh. You bring up something that I think is so important is that kids are kids and uh, all over the country. Moms are looking at their kids and they're saying, OK, some stuff is happening in our schools and uh, some stuff is happening with children in general across the country. And we're getting a little concerned about it. And so I've invited you here today to chat with us a little bit about your experience with the Department of Education, um, with the Office of Civil Rights, um, with some of these issues to shed some light on some of the issues that moms are concerned about regarding um, some of the gender dysphoria discussion that we're hearing and some of the gender identity instruction happening in schools. You've been talking a lot about that um, on Twitter, and I follow you. If you want to follow uh, Candace, you can follow her at C.E. Jackson Law. Um, and so, Candace, welcome uh, to the Joyful Warrior podcast, and we're so excited to learn from you today. Oh, great to be here with you. So, um, what do moms need to know about what's happening right now in our schools? Are they crazy or is something happening? Is something amiss in American public education? Oh, no. If, if moms are sensing that, that um, they're sending their kids to school and turning them over to um, a, a system that doesn't actually aim to educate them anymore and, and actually aims to alienate kids from their parents that, that, that instinct is spot on. This has been going on for, uh, for, for you know, several years now. It, it has just crystallized and gotten um, worse and, and to a breaking point, I think. And I think a lot of that is traceable back to the, the gender craze. Um, it's not a, a superficial or uh, simplistic uh, fad. It feels that way sometimes, you know, when you start to see, you know, a third of a class of fourth graders identifying as LGBTQ plus and you think, whoa, that's, that's kind of strange. But obviously that's just a fad. It's deeper, though, is the problem. So what do you mean by that? How is it deeper? Explain that to us, because what you're saying is right. Moms are saying, you know, all of a sudden, half of my daughter's class is identifying as LGBTQIA+, and also three of her friends are now transgender, and my daughter is telling me that she feels like she was always a boy, and I remember her as a child, and this has never been an issue for her. So moms are seeing that directly. So what's what's happening on a deeper level that moms need to know about to have some context here? Well, sure. I mean, the the structural setup for this has come through the the civil rights umbrella of LGBTQ. But what's happened is that that long ago turned away from being about let's be tolerant of gay youth, homosexual youth, kids who have a hard time at school because they're in the minority if they're, you know, wanting to bring a same-sex date to senior prom, let's say, right? right? Let's not bully them. Let's not torment them. Let, let's, let's 
leave them alone and, and tolerate that as a society. That's how it started. That was gay rights. But what's happened now in the last decade or so with LGBTQ is all of these letters get mixed together. And not only is it not about protecting or understanding or not bullying gay youth, it's now become an agenda of queering, meaning inverting and sort of turning upside down every notion we have of what is fact versus fiction and what is any kind of normative standard. And so it's a dangerous combination for schools to start pushing onto kids for, for a couple of different reasons. One is from the angle of fact versus fiction. That's where the gender stuff comes in. This is an ideology that's very akin to a spiritual or religious belief that divides your, your body from your mind. It divides up your body and your soul. And so it's not teaching kids to accept themselves. It's actually teaching kids to view themselves as an inner soul versus their really you know, kind of disposable outside external body. What a dangerous thing to start planting in kindergartners' mind that they can just exist so separately from their body that any feeling they have inside immediately means that their body might be so wrong that medically and, and objectively healthy or not, they desperately need to start changing their body right. to better reflect their their inner vision of themselves. Very dangerous um, thing to start trying to teach kids. And then the other strand of this, so there's that fact versus fiction. The fact is you you are your body. You're, you're, you're a living human being, and you can't just divide those two things up without some, some pretty weird consequences. Um, sex, you know, being male or female is just a reality thing. But, you know, that goes, that's being twisted now into... You can just self-identify as male, female, both or neither. And then there's the other part that's so dangerous for kids as part of the same queer ideology. And that is there are no norms or boundaries or standards that are that, that should remain in place because norms, boundaries, standards of society are inherently oppressive. And even children need to be liberated from, from norms and standards. That means parents who try to enforce or, or want to create or, or maintain healthy boundaries of any kind uh, are the enemy because um, age uh, becomes a matter of just relative um, arbitrary enforcement by society. Uh, the idea that, that age should be an issue when it comes to what's appropriate for children, for example. Right. And so that's the other strand that, that moms are starting to see seep into schools, right? There's the gender confusion aspect of what's real versus what's just a belief, uh, you know, when it comes to your sex and being a boy or a girl. And then there's this other thing of sexualizing children. This is where we're seeing, you know, the, the trend of no kink shaming come into play. There is nothing having to do with sexuality, sexual attraction, sexual acts, sexual practices. There is nothing in that realm that is off the table for kids 
or that society should ever deem inappropriate. And that's I think, the direction of this other strand. And I think that for parents, you know, looking to protect their children from many different things in the world, and even through COVID, we've seen how children are so expendable in our society to many people, right? Um, mm-hmm. our, our moms have seen that, um, that this idea that they're blurring the boundaries between um, child and adult is concerning because if there isn't a boundary between what's age appropriate, then everything is age appropriate. And then adults and children's worlds collide and adults and children mm-hmm. should have very different lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, there, there's, um, there, there's a, a real attack on, on the, the, even the concept of childhood innocence of there being a developmentally appropriate progression for a little human being to go from, you know, a baby to a toddler, to a kid, to a teen, to finally a young adult, that there's any part of that process that should involve some protection of innocence, some non-exposure to sex and sexuality. It's so interesting. One of the best examples I've heard about age appropriateness was given by a gentleman who's a representative here in Florida. His name is Randy Fine. And he was talking about what does age appropriate mean? And it was during the debate of House Bill 1557. And he gave an example of the American Holocaust Museum, who has an exhibit that they recommend that no child under the grade of six uh, go through. And then they have a separate exhibit for fourth and fifth graders. And then they really say that children below fourth grade really shouldn't be um, going through the museum and seeing the exhibits because it's really just too much for a child of that age to handle. And it's not that we don't believe that children should be taught about the Holocaust, but there's a way to teach about that at different age levels because children have different levels of maturity and, and ability to understand as they mature. And, um, and, and so I thought that was very interesting, right? And so um, when we think about, you know, sex education and sexuality, this push to, you know, push down into K through three, you see in Florida recently, right? People, I mean, people all over the country, Disney freaking out that you can't teach about sex, sexual orientation or gender identity instruction in school. Um, and that seemed to be a really big deal. Candace, one of the things I've been concerned about, and um, I know a lot of our moms are concerned about is the fact that, you know, It's 2022, and so I think we've come a really long way as far as um, gay rights in America. And um, I think moms love their children and and will love their children regardless of their sexual orientation. Um, And so the idea that sometimes schools are kind of using this gender identity, gender dysphoria issue, or gender identity issue as a way to say, well, you're not just accepting of your children. And so can we dive into a little bit what is happening with these children um, in, in, in America right now um, when they are presenting as um, maybe thinking that they're transgender? Because I know a lot of other countries around the world are making progress, but in America and, and in Canada, it seems like we're in a place right now that, that's really dangerous to the future of children. Well, it, 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 is, it is very dangerous. And, and it, it's there, there's definitely, there's a separation between how any country, ours or, or European countries, have historically um, isolated a, a very small um, percentage of kids that are diagnosed with what's, you know, since the 60s or so been called gender dysphoria. Probably not a helpful name or label. Uh, what it really amounts to is, is from a young age, Kids who do not like being the sex that they are, boys who who do not like uh, being a boy, girls who do not like being a, a girl, 
reasons are complicated when it starts, you know, at a super young age like that. It, 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 um, but, but the point is that that's always been a, a very, very small fraction of a percentage of, of kids who deal with that kind of issue. And it, it was confined to the, the psychiatric realm. Um, countries that started to use medical treatments on children with that, with that kind of uh, psychological condition did so kind of slowly, kind of trying to put some parameters around it. Um, but what happened is that a, an ideological, almost pseudo-religious way of looking at being transgender collided with, with that realm and exploded it from being any kind of a condition or abnormal um, sense of oneself to being actually a celebrated, wonderful discovery of oneself instead. And once that collision happened... Now, what we're seeing across America is not um, the once in a while child who has this this kind of dysphoria, which just means severe distress about being a, a boy or a girl. And that, that could be because they don't like their body parts or it could be and or because they don't like the, the kinds of societal stereotypes and expectations that are placed on girls versus boys. Um, but we're not talking about that tiny, tiny group of kids anymore. We're, we're not talking about. Um, a, a a push to view the to view sex and being a boy or a girl as a matter of self determination as a celebrated goal, and so that that's what's led into the uh, kind of social contagion aspects of this, and so it's very easy to. Uh, to think, oh, wow, you know, it's, it's just, uh, there's now a lot of kids coming out in school and coming out to their parents saying, uh, I, I just, I hate being a boy. I'm really a girl. But that's not at all related anymore to any kind of diagnosable condition that needs treatment. It's now traceable back to a, a sort of quasi-spiritual idea being planted in kids' minds that any kind of distress or discomfort, jealousy that you might feel, I'm a girl, but look what boys get to do, any of that now um, is getting funneled into a belief that, well, now you can, now you can really find yourself by, you know, deciding that you're actually not a girl. So a couple questions. Um, there are, I have, I have heard it said that there are, with a lot of the children that um, experience gender dysmorphia, there are comorbidities. Um, that they are suffering from depression, anxiety, other issues. And this idea of, you know, maybe I was born in the wrong body is kind of used as a, as a way to, to, to and, and it's masking a lot of the other issues that a child are, are, is dealing with. And so, um, you know, the mental health assessment aspect of, of um, diagnosing a child, I guess, with gender dysphoria, is that something that you see um, happening? Like, is that something that we're going to see in America? Do you think happening more a focus on mental health? Cause I think that, that parents are looking and saying, I heard a woman, Abigail Martinez in California and her daughter, um, was put into a gender transition program, then removed from her home. And what she just kept saying was, I knew my daughter and I knew that mm -hmm. this wasn't going to fix the, the issues that she was dealing with. And, mm -hmm. you know, sure enough, this, the, this young girl, Yali was put into, uh, the, a lot of different programs, including medical, medical transition. And she ended up taking her own life. And the mom felt like, 
you know, she knew that it wasn't the answer. Yeah, I, I think when you look at the the, the population of um, youth right now who are coming out as transgender as part of this this zeitgeist, um, you you've got some that their parents know them and know that they they were already dealing with some kind of mental health issue, depression, anxiety, autism, ADHD, eating disorders. Though that realm of uh, not uncommon problems for teenagers to be dealing with and uh, preteens to be dealing with is there. And yes, is be, is now being funneled and frankly buried under a label of transgender so that the those underlying um, issues get, get frankly ignored. But there's another cohort going on too, because there are plenty of examples of kids who aren't actually grappling with any any kind of uh, mental health issue or underlying uh, diagnosable problem like that, uh, yet they are getting swept up in in a transgender uh, craze, and that's and so you're dealing with with uh, also a group of teens who are just being kids. They're just going through adolescence. They're just going through growing up. They're just going through reconciling their place in the world as a as a you know a boy or a girl, vis a vis society and their peers and their yeah. parents and the, it's so there's a whole group of kids right now who are claiming a transgender identity and being affirmed in that identity who actually have no problems going on that need specialized it's mental health teenage of any kind. They're just growing up. Yeah. And I remember what it was like as a, as a teenager and, and going as a preteen. I mean, it wasn't always easy, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing for and children. I've seen it. I see it over and over again. So yes. Absolutely. And, and here's the disturbing part for, for parents, I think, is that for both of those subsets that, that we see gra- uh, gravitating toward transgenderism right now, for both of those subsets, who knows what that kid needs and is truly going through the best? Their parent. Absolutely. Their parent knows if there's a real problem underlying this that needs to be addressed as such, or if this really does fall in the realm of this is part of growing up kid. We're going to help you out. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And when you have schools telling students, you know, that the safe place is at school and maybe not home and put in putting that kind of seed, planting that seed in their head and then actively working against parents, as we've seen in many different instances across the country, um, it's a perfect storm. Um, and, and really, um, the other aspect that I think we don't talk about enough, but I think is very important is the fact that, you know, if you come out as, um, being transgender as a, as a teen, as a young teen, and then, you know, where's the space to change your mind? Because oftentimes these children are, are so affirmed in school and, and, and sometimes, you know, it was a child who was not always fitting in, but then is, is all of a sudden celebrated for being, you know, um, now part of this movement, as you've said, this almost pseudo-religious movement that, um, you know, it's very hard to walk away from that and, and to, to admit that maybe you, maybe you weren't right. That's right. I mean, you, now, you know, that that's where the, the stories uh, of, you know, the, the group of young 20s, mid 20s, young women and men who are coming out and calling themselves detransitioners are, are so important because that's where you get to hear how difficult it is to extricate yourself from from the mindset that that you are now part of this club and part of this um, part of this um, liberatory movement, 
Um, and if you decide that that's not quite right for you or you come uh, away from thinking that um, that 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 kind of body manipulation is what's needed for you to feel comfortable in your body. If you try to move out of that, you lose your social group, you lose your, um, you lose your peer circle, you lose the the pats on the back and the, the rainbow celebrations that come to you online and at school. It's hard. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I think is very concerning for moms and for women in general is the fact that, you know, this, this idea of the, the fact that women have been sexualized in our society, right? And, and our girls have, were kind of bombarded with this idea of what it meant to be a woman, to look like a woman. And then to be saying to girls or boys when they're young that maybe if you don't fit into whatever the stereotypical idea of a girl or a boy is, which I thought we had gotten away from. I thought we told women, you don't have to have to, you know, mm-hmm. wear makeup or high heels or dresses or, you know, I mean, we fought so hard to be able to be your own woman. And now it seems like we're almost shifting those kids back into these gender stereotypes. I mean, how in the world is this happening? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I, I, I saw somebody uh, comment online the other day uh, that we had to embrace uh, tr- the transgender movement because society does not accept non-conforming, you know, basically feminine boys or, or masculine girls. And I thought, wow, how, how upside down and backwards is that? It, it's, but, but it's a, a stunning realization really that we were, we were making some good progress toward loosening up sex stereotypes and letting little boys and little girls, you know, play and dress and act how, how their individual personalities wanted to be expressed without boxing them in. Um, and, and if that wasn't happening fast enough, then, then that, that seems to have gone in the opposite direction where we're now doubling down on, well, if you don't act like a girl, you're not one and vice versa. Hey, if you dress like a girl, you must be one. Wow. How, how, how harmful and regressive is that? Uh, but there's some appeal to it because there's a there's a natural human instinct to want to fit, to want to belong, to not want to be the person who is standing out in some way. Right. And then what does this mean for gay rights in America? You know, one of the things that um, my friend was expressing to me the other day was that, you know, in in um, in uh, homosexual relationships, I mean, that is based on biological sex. You're not. And, and so. You know, what, what, what does this mean going forward, and especially for children who are gay? Because if they're being told that somehow they're, you know, not a boy because they um, may be too feminine in some ways, but, it, but I've heard from many um, men that, you know, they went through puberty and then they're a man, and, and I've expressed this before, who is in a relationship with men and, and they're a very happy, well-adjusted person. And so what does this mean in the future for gay rights in America? Because I fear a backlash for... Um, for gay Americans, that just isn't fair here. I, I fear the same thing. I, I'm a lesbian, and my my wife and I, you, you know, have have um, talked about how worrisome it is for um, you know kids growing up now. One, they're being pressured to quote choose their sexuality way too young. Right. You know, if my nine or ten year old comes to me and says, you know, mommy, I'm bisexual, I, my response is going to be, well, I no, you, you can't know that. Candace, you're, you're nine or ten. We don't even. I mean, and that's the thing that I always think is so interesting. People think this is about like sexual orientation. We don't encourage our kids to have boyfriend girlfriend anything at, at the age of eight or nine. It's not cute. No, it's so, not funny. So the, uh, yeah. No, it's horrible. And so and it's specifically really, really um, dangerous and, and, and a poor 
um, model for gay youth to have this entire queer early exposure to sexuality movement um, force teamed with with something you know with something called gay rights, right? Because we fought really hard for equal legal treatment and societal tolerance based exactly on the idea of convincing society, persuading society that happening to have a same-sex orientation says nothing about your sexual deviancy or your morality or, or, you know, your desire to, to be, you know, somehow sexually perverse. It's just about a same-sex attraction to, to a same-sex relationship. That's right. That's right. And now we're moving that backwards uh, 50 years by saying this is a this is a gay thing to encourage kids to have to choose a sexuality, understand what sexuality they are. And then let's mix it all up with, by the way, we're not even talking about sexual orientation anymore, because, as you said, we're not talking about sex anymore. We're talking about gender identity. And so not only is it early exposure to the concept of, of uh, a sexual orientation for a kid, but they're not even, they're being, it's being twisted so that there's a lot of pressure to choose weird labels like pansexual, because the implication is you better be attracted to quote all genders or you're, you're bigoted. Right. How That's a horrible it's message for it's poor kids. I mean, so then the question is, you've have all this experience in different parts of government. And I always think you guys, we, I served as an elected official in my own community. I saw behind the education curtain. You certainly have seen behind the curtain in many different ways. How did we get here? How did we get to a place where suddenly it is, you know, the parents with the Florida stuff, they're looking and they're saying, why is this not get grades K through 12? How did how, what is the slippery slope that is happening in American public education where parents just feel like things are happening that they had, that they never gave permission to have happen? Well, I, I think, I think the, the vehicles through which it has happened um, have played a large role in it because on the, on the diversity, equity, inclusion side, um, you know, moving from don't discriminate, don't bully, don't harass, um, you know, has, has kind of provided that opening to, well, no, that's not good enough. Now we have to celebrate everything. And so that, that's been on the, you know, kind of LGBTQ side of things. And then we combine that with uh, the basic idea of, you know, we have a lot of discussion in this country, you know, 20, 30 years ago about what sex ed means or should mean. And we were, we kind of reached a, a, a point for a while where, um, you know, kind of the birds and the bees uh, was kind of a settled issue. But that sex ed, that education supposedly about facts about sex and bodies and, and so forth and, and sexual reproduction and sexual health but that bucket of let's make sure kids understand the facts around those things uh has been the vehicle for um you know for now um slipping in the idea that that children have autonomy that children should be allowed to choose their their own practices and we need to teach them about pleasure and about um uh, you know, uh, six year olds should, should have more agency in their sexual that's development. Right. That yeah. That yeah. <laughs> and parents are like, wait a second, 
But, but, it's not, but, but the way but the way that the way that uh, programming works makes it hard to come down and stop it before right. you've already passed the point where you're you're turning around and saying, "What just happened? What, what are we doing now?" Because of the way that the, it bureaucratically and structurally starts to work, right? So if you've got anti-bullying programming over here, and then you've got sex ed over here. Well, that programming starts a certain way. We have our societal debates about it. Everything's fine. But then it, it, it gets updated every year, doesn't it? Yes. Because the people who create that content, well, they, they need to be relevant. They need to, they need to keep getting paid. They need, you know, the bureaucrats implementing it want to feel like they're on the cutting edge of whatever the, the bucket is, right? And so it gets pushed just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. So version one met with sort of general approval. Everybody ended up being cool with it. By the time you get to like version eight, it doesn't even look like the same thing. Right. A hundred percent. And it's really hard. And I, and I just, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. When you're sitting there and you're, you're being, you know, kind of um, presented with, you know, things to create more diversity in, in, in more equity. It's hard, as you've said, to fight against those things. They sound lovely. That's right? Right. How could you possibly, what kind of a person fights against diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Until you get to see behind the curtain and, and what's really trying to accomplish. And all of a sudden we're talking to six-year-olds about the fact that they can be a tree if they feel like being a tree that day. Um, or, or something like that. Right. I mean, just to the point where, you know, we no, have because that's about right. furries well, there, that's right, because there is no stopping point to it. There's no limiting principle. And that, that's what makes, um, you know, when, if parents are, are feeling a gut reaction to seeing what's actually going on in their schools, uh, you've got you've to be willing to kind of let any kind of hate labels roll off of you. You're not wrong. They're, they're the crazy ones. This, this is absurd what's going on. And the way you know that is that we're not just talking about a moralistic slippery slope argument. We're not just saying, oh, well, if you accept gay people, next you're going to be accepting pedophiles. That was an old slippery slope argument. And I, I understand how people are, you know, thinking that maybe that's what's going on. That is not what's going on. Right now, if you say a boy can be a girl just because that's how he feels, there is no limiting principle. It's not a slippery slope to saying a boy can then actually be a cat or a chicken. Um, but that's not a slippery slope. Conceptually, there is no way to accept and affirm personal subjective identity and put any barriers around that, put any parameters around that. And so for parents, I mean, I love the fact that you just said like, parents, you're not crazy, right? Like, and, and so for parents who are feeling this, what do you suggest to them? If, if they're, I mean, they, it may be happening in their school district. It may be happening to them. They may be seeing it happen across other parts of the country and, and, and they're concerned that it might be coming towards them. Right. And I think rightly so, because we keep seeing it repeated and expanding. So just, I want to move on to title nine and I want to talk about the erasure of women in America, which fits I think right in here with this conversation, obviously it's all working together to accomplish, I think a common goal, but any advice for parents from your experience in the education world and in trying to have their voices heard at, at that, you know, that level of school board and, and, and parent interaction. Yeah, it, it is at that level too. I mean, what, what we've, we've seen the effectiveness of, of parents showing up. Right. And so the, the only couple of comments I would add is, is um, one, get receipts, you know, find, find the ways. It's not always easy, but find the ways to actually 
uh, get receipts for what is or isn't happening in your school. Um, th these policies are not popular, and so schools are not sending out copies right. <laughs> and explaining, here's here's our new curriculum and this or that, and here's our new policy for, you know, why boys are going to go on you know, sleepaways with your girls. They're not bragging about it. And so they're, they're very much hiding it. So try to find out um, what's, what is going on in your school and, and show up. And then I would just say, uh, you, you know, have, have confidence and, and have, have um, the, the self-assurance to know that you're, you're the grown adult. The, the teachers and administrators right now are, are not really acting in an adult role. They're, they're um, caving to, um, you know, kind of a juvenile mindset right now. Be the adult in the room. You know what's right and wrong. You know what's absurd and illogical and doesn't make sense. Uh, so don't let don't let you know labels of you're being phobic or bigoted throw you off. Just standing on the knowledge that, but but it doesn't make sense to think right. that it's just sense. on his yeah. But it just doesn't make sense. Um, it's not supposed to make sense and you're supposed to feel really horrible and evil and, and, and stupid for questioning the dogma, but that's, that's by design. So, yeah. I, and so same with CRT. One of the things that we've always talked to our moms about is that you don't have to be an expert in CRT to know that ra racism and discrimination in a classroom is wrong. And so if you come from it from the perspective of knowing that some of these basic things are just going against what is best for, for children, um, then, you know, racism is wrong in the classroom. Doesn't matter who we're discriminating yeah. against, right? You know, children should be allowed to be children. They shouldn't be sexualized at the age of five. These are common That's sense right. things that our moms can rally around. So then the next... Yeah, the other, yeah go the other, Sorry, real quick. The other tip I would say is, is be confident in using clear plain language yes. lingo and language games is a huge part of this ideology. It really is. There are all kinds of words now in, in a weird, queer lexicon that we're all supposed to just accept our, our descriptive normal words. They're made up, they're invented, they're intended to mess with our ideas of, of you know, what, what is reality. Um, transgender kids isn't a thing. It's these are boys and these are girls. They're they're not some you know new or third type of human being. They're just girls and boys. So you know if you're trying to talk to your school about, well, why does my middle school daughter have to change a tampon in a stall next to a boy now? Don't feel like you have to say, well, you know, transgender girls in the same room as a girl. You can tell how if you use the language that's been made up to defend this ideology, you've already given a lot of ground because then it's just a matter of you're discriminating against some girls, right? That's well, no, we're trying to call we're trying to call attention to the fact that girls and boys are different. This great advice. So no more trans woman. This is we need to stop using the language. I think it's a, a wonder. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the more that our moms can embrace that, you know, these truths and hold them um, as evident together, um, the more progress that we're going to make uh, along the lines of truth. Um, I am a mother. I'm not a birthing person. I have had four mm. children. I carried each of them roughly nine months and then breastfed them after that for each a year. Um, so I'm very clear in, in being a woman and what it means to be a woman mm -hmm. in many different ways. But there seems to be an effort going on right now 
um, in America's public school classrooms, but then also um, in D.C. with our president in the White House and, and um, with some of the proposed changes to Title IX. I am not going to even pretend for a moment that I can speak to it at the level that you can. So I would like for you, if you could, to explain Title IX a little bit, the importance of Title IX, and then what some of these proposed changes are um, to it so that, that, that really um, seem very, very concerning for the future of women in America. Yeah, uh, we're working on how best to enforce Title IX was was uh, the main project that, that I spent four four years in Washington D.C. working on. So I had the opportunity to to really delve in and, and understand, you know, what is the role of this this federal civil rights statute um, in in educational access, in um, promoting the, the welfare of, of girls and women in school. And then how and why, in what ways has, it, has Title IX become kind of a, a, a lightning rod for, for some social issues? Um, and, and so one of those um, ha, has been, um, if you look at Title IX, it was just, a, it's, it's a pretty short, simple statute just saying that, that no school or college that takes any kind of federal money is allowed to uh, keep somebody from having the benefits of an education program or exclude them from an education program or subject them to discrimination under any kind of education program on the basis of sex. And when Title IX came about in 1972, you can think back and, and realize that the context for that, right? This was, a, this was um, a, an era when there were still a lot of educational programs or even whole schools and institutions that were flat out excluding women from admission, um, that were separating out what, what kinds of courses and coursework were for girls versus for boys. Um, athletics was, of course, a huge motivation for Title IX in the first place because uh, boys got lots of great sports opportunities in school, but even if the school program was, uh, you know, running a team that was technically open, good luck to the girls, you know, trying out and making the team, right? And so either either um, because it was boy only or because it was technically open, but girls didn't have a shot at competing and getting on the teams, girls didn't have a lot of athletic opportunities in school, um, either at the K through 12 or college level. So that's the backdrop for why we wanted and needed at the time a, a sex discrimination in school statute. And Title IX, you know, when it passed, wrote, Congress wrote into the law, um, you know, a, a, a list of exceptions that, that made it clear that there are areas where you can still treat boys and girls differently in schools. The education department right away issued a slew of regulations under Title IX in, you know, still in the mid-70s that expanded the list of ways in which schools can treat girls and boys differently but comparably. Um, and, and it's interesting because when you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, we want, we want, we want the fact of you being a boy or a girl not to matter when it comes to getting a full education, when it comes to taking advantage of the full range of opportunities in a school environment, including extracurricular activities and sports. But at the same time, we're not talking about racial differences. We're talking about sex differences. And so the number, the number of ways in which it is not only okay, but actually very important to girls and women to go ahead and provide some services 
and activities on a separate but comparable basis is really important and baked into the whole structure of Title IX from its very origin. So bathrooms and sports and physical education classes and human sexuality classes, all of those, you know, from the beginning have been allowed to be provided separately to, to boys and girls. Fast forward now to the, the Biden administration and this this, this uh, ideology that says sex is just a matter of your inner identity, gender identity, has crept into the point where we're taking a, a statute, Title IX, that has stood for 50 years now as uh, you know, a big symbol with, with some good teeth behind it to knock down barriers to women and girls having equal educational opportunities. And we're not flipping that around to say, eh, it doesn't matter whether you're a woman or, or a girl. What matters is how you feel inside. And so Title IX is on the verge of becoming a gender identity statute. And so when you play that out, it means that any, any area of school life um, where it has always made sense and actually been important to the, the dignity or the, or the safety or the true equal opportunity for girls and women, any of those areas now are, be, are, are going to have to become mixed sex instead of any kind of sex separation. Wow. This is how we have um, a man competing on a, a women's sports team and winning NCAA championships. I mean, is this, it seems like it's happening already. So there are changes that are being proposed by the Biden administration. And I know a lot of different groups have asked our moms to, to be a part of kind of pushing back against that. So when there are changes that are being proposed to something like title nine, um, what, what is the role of the American public in, in those changes and how yeah. the changes are made? Well, Title IX has official regulations that the Department of Education writes up and publishes and uh, gets public comment on, has to respond to those public comments, and then the regulations can, can become legally, <laughs> legally binding. So in this case, the Biden administration has already begun uh, under, under a, a uh, reinterpretation of Title IX to... Uh, demand that schools continue to allow gender identity to be the um, to, to be the characteristic that that determines you know which sex uh, separated activity you go to. Um, but to make that permanent, to make that formal, to make that legally binding, the Biden administration needs to amend the actual regulations under Title IX. Okay. So that's what they've got on the table right now. They had planned on releasing those proposed regulations in April. It now looks like it's at least going to get kicked to next month. But once they do, once they issue their proposed set of regulations, the entire country gets the, the chance to, to submit comments uh, on the regulation, pointing out any of the, the flaws in it, pointing out the harmful results from what they're proposing. And legally, they're obligated to respond to those comments in order to, to be able to move forward and, and issue their regulation. So it is important to, for the, the public to participate in that. And so that sounds a little intimidating. I'm going to be honest. I'll just say, for, even for me, you know, I, I, it, what, what does it mean to submit public comment? What does that look like? Oh, 
Yeah, that's just shorthand for um, these days. It's super easy because it's all through a, a government website, and so there's just a, a portal where you just click and and you know you get your comment box up there. You enter your name, and then you can say whatever you want. And all the public comment means is that you know you've looked at what they're what they want to do, and you have a response to it. So it could be you know keep sex. Uh, you know, keep sex. Don't switch to gender identity. That's a comment. Okay. You could also write an entire letter about, you know, how you see this playing out at your school. And, you know, you, you think that it's, it's harmful to, to girls for these and that re- this and that reason. So it can be as simple or as detailed as you want. Wonderful. So for all of our listeners, we're going to be working with a couple different groups to um, encourage all of you to um, give public comment here. This is an opportunity to have your voices heard. Um, what are the long-term ramifications? I know we don't know exactly what the Biden administration is going to propose. I've heard a couple different ideas as to um, what might be proposed. And then, you know, with the Transgender Day of, of Visibility and in Biden's speech on that, uh, the people that um, were talking about what might be proposed said, wait a second, it might be even more than we even possibly thought. So um, any kind of forecasting at at what you think uh, is going to happen? And then just to drive home the point before we end about some of the long lasting ramifications of of, um, not recognizing biological sex, but only gender identity in our society going forward um, in many different ways. What what do you see as as, as some of the things that, you know, parent, we, we really as Americans need to know that how harmful it could possibly be? Yeah, so the the indication is, and, and the latest that, that we've seen publicly is a, a draft of the new proposed Title IX regulation that the Washington Post got a hold of um, and wrote up, wrote up um, what that draft said. And so the way that they're trying to do this is they don't take uh, sex out of the law. They just add in and say that, you know, that, that Title IX now also applies to discrimination based on gender identity. Well, fine. You, you, so you might think, oh, well, at least we're just adding a characteristic, not taking sex away. But if you play that out, of course, you cannot both have um, separation based on sex and separation based on gender identity. Because as soon as you try to say, yeah, we have boys and girls sports, but who goes into the boys sport and who goes into the girls sport is now a matter of subjective identity. Once you do that, in reality, we don't have boys and girls sports anymore. We just have mixed sex sports. Well, we have men's and, sports, I think, really. I mean, which ends up being men's, men's sports. sports. Right. That, that's exactly right. Yeah. And so you play that out. It's sports. Yes. But it's also it's also every single aspect in, in society where sex might be important. And, and you know, with, with schools, that starts at the very basic level of even being able to record what a student's sex is. Well, we need that data. We've always needed that data because how else do we track how girls and women are doing in school? Yeah, they become erased if they're no longer something that... That's right. So at every single level where sex might be important to know about, to be able to track inequalities, uh, to be able to actually provide spaces and services uh, that are separate for girls than for boys, every single area you can think of uh, like that, you, you, can't, you can't just add on gender identity without, in effect, erasing um, any kind of uh, differences based on sex. Um, the, other, the other interesting thing about doing it that way is, you know, 
we talked earlier about, you know, I, I do think that, that gender ideology, the, the ideas around what's going on here with sex and gender, you know, really, it really does amount to a, a type of pseudo-religious belief. It's very spiritual. There's no fact to it. There's no materiality to it. But it's it's all coming from from a, a very you know soul versus body spiritual belief system. Well, what we're doing here then, if we're going to say it's discrimination, illegal discrimination, not to validate and affirm someone's internal identity, then what you're really doing is is um, taking a a a belief system that could and should get some protection as we protect other religious beliefs. And instead, flipping that around, and, and it would be like saying, as to anybody's religious beliefs, it's now going to be illegal for the rest of society to refuse to pretend to believe your religion. I'm absorbing that. And that's part of why it's not innocuous or harmless that schools are starting to, you know, do things like every single form you fill out, ask, you know, your kid is going to be asked, what is, what are your pronouns? You know, teachers and students are compelled under school policies now to call someone uh, by whatever pronouns, you know, that are supposed to reflect, you know, indication of belief as to whether they're a boy or a girl, man or a woman. That kind of compelled aspect to this is disturbing because there isn't an we, we've we've argued before in society about whether schools should should be able to promote public schools should be able to promote religious beliefs. We've said no. Right. But what's going on now is truly compelling the entire um, environment, the entire set of students and teachers and, and parents in a school community to pr at least pretend that everybody is in sync and believes the tenets of a religious faith. It's a very dangerous thing to have happen. And, and parents across the country are wondering to themselves, how um, are we inventing words and new pronouns and my children are being taught these things in school? When did we ever agree to this? When did we ever agree to any of this? Right? Um, and, and it's concerning. And I'm excited that Moms and Moms for Liberty are fighting back. I know that courage is contagious, and we're seeing that moms are stepping up and dads all over the country and, and fighting um, for shared principles. And it's no longer about political party or religion or race. This is about, you know, the survival of America and the future of our children as free individuals um, who are celebrated for the uniqueness and individuality, but recognize that together we're Americans and um, we all have so much more in common than we have um, really different. Um, so Candace, thank you for joining us today. Do you have any last words for um, everyone listening? I just so appreciate you taking the time to explain all of this to us. Well, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation too. And would just, would just again, encourage parents uh, to understand that, um, have the confidence to, to, um, know that you know your kids you know your kids best absolutely don't 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 turn their welfare blindly over to authorities because right now we're we're, we're in a zeitgeist where authorities are, are pretty captured by a, a really weird ideology and so you know they may be they may be nice and have good motivation subjectively but but they're a bit captured right now so hang on to the authority you have as a parent
Hang on to the truth and and try to do it while you're smiling. We try to say we're joyful warriors. It's a, it's <laughs> right. a privilege to fight for our country, right? And um, we want our kids to grow up watching all of us kind of try to right the ship of America, but to recognize that it's, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie here and we're making a lot of friends and we're learning a lot about um, how to make change. This government does not work well without us. And we have recognized that. So um Candace, I look forward to uh, moms across America flooding the Department of Education with comments regarding the proposed uh, regulation changes for Title IX, and uh, hopefully it'll be a response they've never seen before. That's fantastic. Wonderful. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. You too, Tiffany. Next up, we chat with Pat, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Hey, Joyful Warriors, so excited that Chat with Pat is back this week. You guys know I love chatting with Pat, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Hello, Pat Blackburn. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great. I hope you're well today. I'm doing well. We're busy. We're planning for the summit in July, July 14th through the 17th. So I've been working hard on that, trying to get some interesting speakers and some really meaningful information for our moms that are going to be attending and dads. Um, But today I know that you have brought a special friend to chat with Pat. Why don't you introduce us? Oh, I am so excited to introduce you to Kit Hart. She's our Carroll uh, County Chapter Chair in Maryland. And Kit, we were just talking about um, her name, Kit Hart. She sounds like a superhero. I could, she sounds like she could be like, we're going to have to like come up with like Moms for Liberty all-stars or something and write <laughs> comic books about our moms because we really are like these ladies really are superheroes when you learn what they're accomplishing in their communities for their children and for their families. And so I just want to introduce you to Kit and we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in Carroll County. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so nice to, to talk with both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. So Kit, tell us when did you start your Moms for Liberty chapter? We started in September of last year, so we've been um, we've been up and running for just over six months. And how's it going? What's going on in Carroll County, Maryland? Tell us. Oh, it, it's it's been going great. We have um, really just um, been making some waves, and it didn't take long before people started recognizing who we were and. We're a pretty big force at board meetings. Um, it's really amazing to see. And we've gotten a ton of support uh, throughout the community. And it's just been a wonderful, wonderful experience. Wonderful. So tell us, what recent issues? I, I saw Carroll County has been in the news a little bit in the past couple of days. Yes. Um, so yes. tell us, what, what, what's going on in Carroll County? What issues have you, has your chapter kind of faced? I know that you know there are some that are more recent, but I, I know you guys have been facing a, a lot of different things that your children have been dealing with in school. Right, right. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we realized that the Maryland State Department of Education released some new guidelines um, for their health curriculum. And those guidelines included uh, introducing students to gender ideology and some really radical concepts starting as early as pre-K. Now, they need to be voted on at uh, county by county. So, we, we, you know, immediately got on top of that and 
decided, okay, this obviously cannot be infiltrated into our county. Um, some of the some of the counties around us are already starting to see those changes being adopted into the into their curriculum, and so that was one thing that our members were really fired up about. We really believe that those kinds of conversations, especially at such young ages, really belong in the home. And um, having these types of uh, topics in health curriculum is really stifling the parental freedoms of our parents. So um, that was a huge, uh, it, it really shook us up a little bit. Um, and then shortly after that, just a week later, we learned that um, somebody in the community was working with PFLAG, which is a, a, a gay rights organization, and had donated a f one flag per classroom for every single every single classroom in the entire county, including pre-K classrooms, kindergarten classrooms. So every teacher um, was given the opportunity, I guess you could say, to place a pride flag in their classroom. And we felt that was wrong on so many levels. First of all, um, it really kind of pressured teachers, regardless of their opinions or stances or, you know, comfort level of talking about these conversations um, to to put the flags in their classroom. Um, and then secondly, it was another attempt to um, just force these really heavy and um, serious conversations into the classroom where we believe they really don't belong until if at all, a much older age. Okay, so you've got an activist group in your community that decides they're going to donate uh, pride flags. And, and mm -hmm. I'm imagining that your school district and school board didn't force everyone to put them there. And I'm kind of hearing that from you. So how was it kind of, I'm just curious, like what's the rollout? Did the district send out an email or how, how were teachers made yeah. aware of it? Well, um, we, we, the teachers were all sent an email from their schools and we had, you know, we, we obtained a copy of the email and it just said, um, the, that the organization had donated these flags and each teacher was, um, in, I can't remember the exact term, but if it, it, it was invited or, um, had the opportunity to come and pick up their flag and display it to, you know, support the LGBT community in their schools. So, um, so yeah, so the teachers were invited, you know, were personally asked to come and take the flag I can from, their, see, from their front office. I can see how they would feel an enormous amount of pressure. Obviously, you know, you yes. don't want to make anyone feel bad or not feel valued, but then also, you know, what are the rules regarding flags and, and different things right. in classrooms in Carroll County? So how did your, how's your school board handling that? So you guys found out about it. I would imagine you went to the school board, the superintendent. Right. 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 So we went to the school board that, that, that week and we there there was already a scheduled meeting for the you know the monthly meeting and so we kind of just completely changed directions from talking about the curriculum to the more pressing issue that was happening that week which was the pride flags and um decided that's how we were going to that's what our our topic was going to be now the 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 front office like the main office in the county had had approved the flags and had you know it, it had already been approved when we got to the um to the board meeting so many of us had written emails to everybody on the board um and in the main office d expressing our you know, concern and disapproval. And so they knew that we were coming to speak about this issue. So in, in the beginning of the meeting, the, the, per, one of the, one of, one of the, uh, board of ed members 
just head on address the issue. And this woman, Donna Savigny, is a hero of mine. She is wonderful. She supported us through the masking issue. She really has always advocated for our children. And she addressed it head on and said, you know, this goes against our political neutrality policy. And once, you know, and, and she took the words right out of my mouth. She said, you know, once you open, once you open up this, this, you know, can of worms, you're allowing all kinds of different politics to come into the classroom. If you, if you allow a, a gay pride flag, then what about a teacher who wants to put up a don't tread on me flag, or, you know, a teacher that wants to put up a BLM flag or any kind of um, you know, political agenda that that teacher has. It's really inappropriate for a classroom. So um, she addressed it head on. And then a couple of us spoke about, uh, you know, still voice your opinions. And of course, we had the opposition speaking, speaking as well. So it but it did end up they they the board voted on um, on creating a new policy, a flag policy that will just have uh, just allow the the American flag, the Maryland state flag and the Carroll County flag in the classrooms. Now so I ask you, the end result was really wonderful. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. First of all, listen, if you have a school board member and if, if you're listening right now across the country and you have a school board member that has stood up for your families, for your kids, for your rights, make sure you're, you're celebrating them and letting them know how yes. awesome they are. They are right. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And we do. <laughs> I sent her a, a Facebook message right away and I said, you know, you are, you're a hero. She's a hero. That's and awesome. she's so courageous. So definitely so, a role model of mine. Yeah. So does Carroll County, do, does every classroom in Carroll County have an American flag in it? No. And that was one thing that was really exposed because parents couldn't believe that, that many of the, many of the classrooms didn't even have an American flag. Wow. Yeah. And so, so um, and, and, I would imagine you guys are going to make sure every every classroom has an American flag. If anyone's listening and they'd like to help out Carroll County, make sure we get an American flag in every classroom. There's no reason why we do not have that. Right. I would I would really encourage all all chapters like find out if if your county, I mean, cuz Carroll County is definitely not the only one. We are we are um I would say a more conservative county in Maryland, but there there are definitely other counties that are out there that that don't require, I think it should be required to have an American flag. In I think it should be required too. I agree. I mean, all this talk about mm-hmm. other flags, let's put the American flag in the classroom. So absolutely. Kit, I, I give you guys a lot of credit for advocating in that way. What are, what have been some of your biggest hurdles that you faced, um, you know, in Carroll County as a Moms for Liberty chapter or before, maybe before Moms for Liberty, you know, just curious how, how mm-hmm. that journey has been. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, of course, when somebody has experiences, some success and some victories, um, it rip, <laughs> there's a ripple effect and um, people find out about it, both good and bad. And um, it's been really amazing and very upsetting to see how uh, certain certain groups and certain people, um, when they disagree with you, they, they will come out with their claws out. Uh, you know, I had no idea getting into this. Um, and, and, you know, my, my, my kind of battles started before Moms for Liberty, I was really battling the mask issue. And so I felt like I was one of the only ones in my whole area that was really passionate about letting, having parental choice for the masks. And that's actually what led me to Moms for Liberty. So I was getting, I was getting used to some of the opposition and the things that they would say about me, but, oh my gosh, I just have experienced a lot of character defamation and, you know, you, you're surprised at what the lengths people will go to, to, to try to find dirt on you. I know it sounds really, um, 
sounds really weird, but, but people just kind of dig through everything that you've ever said and, um, kind of, will just defame your character and, and really try to paint you in a bad light. And so that was hard for me. You know, I'm, I, I, I love, I, I have friends of all different per- political persuasions. I have family members of all different political persuasions. So, um, you know, that, that was really hard for me to see. And especially people like neighbors of mine, people who I knew in the community, um, were, were very open to attacking, you know, not just me, but friends of mine and other members of Moms for Liberty. So that was, that was probably the hardest thing that I've experienced, but you know, it, it, I've been so grateful for it because, you know, a couple days later after, after an event happens, um, I just feel like I, I am able to like harness a lot more courage than I used to be able to and always stick by what I say and always, you know, um, remain courageous. And so that's really been a blessing. Um, and then not to really care so much about what people say, because no matter when you're speaking the truth, like people, you're always going to get a little bit of hate. So I've just become calloused to what other people's opinions of me are. Awesome. And so and what are your, I, Oh, but I just want to ask one more I question. Always say, Oh, go ahead. No, I just wanted to ask about the kids. So you have, you're a mom. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Five kids. <laughs> Five kids. Yes. My youngest is two and then they go all the way up to 11. And so what do you think it's like for their, for the kids to watch your mom, uh, watch their mom, excuse me, um, be such a role model in her community? Oh, uh, well, I, I think it's been a great experience. My, my son spoke at a board meeting right before we got the masks off. Um, he spoke and he was phenomenal. He, you know, he had seen me spoke at different rallies and um, and other board meetings and things like that. So I, I really helped him and I, and I encouraged him. I said, when you, when you experience, um, an injustice, you have to be able to stand up for what you believe. And so I think that was, it's, it's just been a really cool, um, experience for them to see me, you know, kind (laughs) of have ups and downs and, and lead the pack with rallies and things like that. Like they, they are inspired and encouraged and they're like little, they're little patriots too. You know, like you can see like their little artwork is all about the American flag. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's just been wonderful. Well, that is wonderful. I hear someone's dog. (laughs) (laughs) Not mine. (laughs) It must be Tiffany. I apologize about that guys. I'll cut that out. I'm sorry about that. I know I can't. I'm sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. No. Well, Kit, I just have to say that, you know, you're a mom of five. You are weathering the storm of hate that comes our way when we stand up for our children, which mm-hmm. blows my mind. Like all we want to do is, um, you know, parent our children, raise our children. We love them. We mm-hmm. want them to have the best education possible. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why I say, you know, we our moms really are superheroes. And, um, you know, I, I just have to point out that, um, you know, that is what Kit has said has been one of the hurdles she's had to face. But yet you see she's, number one, thankful for it. And number two, it hasn't deterred her one bit. So no. when, the left, yeah. when, when the enemy comes and says, you know, you know I'm going to attack this mom because she's fighting for her children and I'm going to try to defame her character. It's really an exercise in futility because when it comes to our kids, uh, when it comes to our children, you calling me bad names. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not doing anything that's to stop not, me. No. That's not going to do anything to stop right. me. In fact, 
it almost what I'm seeing with our chapter chairs around the country is when they do this stuff, it almost makes us want to fight that much harder because mm-hmm. we see what the future will be for our children mm-hmm. if we don't. Right. And um, I'm just so glad that you're raising now. I mean, our children are seeing us. So you think about what that means for the future. If we are raising our children to stand up in a way that we've never seen what Moms for Liberty is doing and what parents are doing right now around this country has never been done. Right. And I think that's the reason why we see so many of these, um, their low brow attacks is because they don't know what to do with us. Like we are not just some, um, you know, well-funded Washington, D.C. organization. We are real. We are organic. The stuff yeah. that's going on in our communities, we are addressing. And um, we're taking it to the state level and we're taking it all the way up at every level of government. And there's no fighting that because right. what we have is real. And right. so um, I just thank you for weathering that storm. And so I'm sure that now that you've been a chapter chair since, um, you know, what last fall Mm -hmm. you have, I mean, amazing what you guys have done in such a short amount of time. Um, what lessons have you learned or advice would you give to other chapter chairs who, um, maybe they're new to this or maybe, Mm -hmm. um, they're struggling. What's some good advice you have for them? Oh, that's such a good question. I was just speaking with um, some a wonderful mom who decided to start a chapter down the road from us in a different county, um, and you know, this this is has just I've learned so much in the past six months. Um, I mean, I would say first of all, definitely get yourself a really wonderful executive team. Um, the the three ladies that I lead with are such a lifeline to me. You know, I, I, I could not do it without them. And that's 100% the truth. Um, they just have, have my back all the time. They are huge, uh, force of encouragement and, and just support. And they, they, they pick, they, you know, they, they pick up the, the, the jobs and the duties that, you know, I can't do. They just, are overwhelmingly supportive. Um, and you know, that's something I definitely can't stress enough. And then also, you know, I just am reminded like every day, um, there's a reason why in the Bible, there's the phrase, do not fear appears in one way or another 365 times. Um, and so just don't be afraid of those really hard moments where, you you have to say the hard truth at a board of ed meeting and you know you're going to face some opposition. Um, if you don't do it, nobody else will. And it just takes one person to get up there and say the thing that nobody else will say. And then you'll be- believe it or not, people will just start supporting you because they know that you're speaking the truth. Um, so just don't be afraid of, you know, the controversial opinions that you have and just remember, like, be not afraid every day. Um, and then, you know, lastly, I pray for our organization and for our chapter very regularly. I think that has sustained me, um, definitely. And, you know, I know that this isn't a religious organization, but I have no doubt that most everybody in our, in our in our group, um, is either, you know, um, a believer in, in God or some other higher power. And that's where they really get their strength. And 
you know, I, I just know that since we have truth on our side, God is on our side. And so if you ask for, ask him for the help, he'll give it to you. So that's just, that's what I would say. I think that it's so beautiful. Like great advice. Yeah, yeah that's oh, really beautiful, that. Kit. And what, and you know, I, I think you're, what you're saying about, you know, I think of our moms as kind of holding the torch. I know we're moms for liberty that probably, people probably say that's kind of cheesy, but I do think that you need someone when you stand up in your community and you hold that torch and you shine a light on the truth and you ask people to join you, people are waking up. And they're seeing Mm -hmm. that a lot of the things that we have been conditioned to just accept or to be compliant Mm -hmm. with are not uh, what is best for our families. And so I just, you know, as Pat, Patty, you going to say it, tell everybody, what do they need to do? (laughs) So when you listen to kid, if you're inspired and you're like, Hey, I need to do something. I need to stand up for my children. You should join a moms for Liberty chapter. And if you don't have a chapter in your community, Get 10 people together and start one. And you can do that by going to momsforliberty.org and click on start a chapter and we'll help you every step of the way. Time to get off the comfy and couch, that's people. True. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I will say, Pat, you have been an incredible incredible help to me. Um, I just feel so supported by the whole organization. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a hard first step, but then once you, once you take that step, you are, you are given so much support. You can't believe it. And, and it's been the biggest gift of, of, um, the past couple of years. So, well, you're a gift to us too, Kit. And I, and Pat has been a gift to me as a friend for many years. And now I get to, now Pat gets to help people from all over the country. And it's just been such a blessing for all of us to be able to work together to empower parents and unify parents. So Kit, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, go to momsforliberty.org. You're welcome. Go to momsforliberty.org. Uh, Click the link to start a chapter if you don't have one near you. If you have one near you, as Pat said, let's uh, get off the comfy couch and join us. And uh, we'll check back uh, next week with you with Chat with Pat and uh, hope to meet another uh, awesome chapter chair, Pat. Sounds great. Y'all have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand. Our children. Our choice. Our future.